Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. I am back and better than ever. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance on this Wednesday in February. Is there stuff going on? Oh, my goodness. Is there stuff going on? I sat and watched and listened to a bunch of nonsense going on in the sports world over the last five days, and I am delighted to be back to chime in on all of it. Let's go. Here we go. Only one place to start. Our one place to start this morning is going to be with the one, the only, the great Kimberly Martin, our NFL insider extraordinaire. Good enough to hang out after we wrap up Get Up this morning. We've also got hashtag Hembo here. Hashtag Cam is with us. Bubba has a few few poorly deserved days off. He certainly has not earned any days off, but he's taking a few anyway. So we'll be without Bubba today, but we got Himbo and we got Kmart. And Kmart, we got a lot to dive into today. And I want to go directly to... Your injury. Well, that's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Don't bury the lead. Listen, I too am playing hurt, but I didn't make... You know, morning TV about it. I just, I just, I, I will make morning radio. About I do it. not think that you have like a little redness in your left eye. I do not think it was noticeable on TV at all. Okay, I- well, ladies and gentlemen, in Vegas, I was minding my business, having a good time. Went to lunch with a friend. Literally got back to my hotel room and my eye exploded. I popped a vessel in my eye. Half my eyeball is red. Imagine me walking around Vegas, trying to be my fabulous self with a bloody eye. It has been two weeks. I've been soldiering on, fighting for my life out here, Greeny. Mm-hmm. And I finally have made it back. And it's still not 100%, but, you know, I'm a trooper. So. The one thing I'll say is that in Vegas, most people's eyes are bloodshot <laughs> for entirely different reasons. I was wearing, I was looking like Ray Charles. I was wearing glasses, walking around. People thought I was like the ultimate diva. I was like, no, it's just my eyes. That said, I saw your Instagram feed. You seem to be running from was, one party to another. Know, You're Greeny. hanging out. No, Alex Flanagan is running around. <laughs> all. Anyway, let, let's, let, let's get down to business Yes. Here. Because quarterbacks, we all understand, are where it all begins and ends. Mm -hmm. And there's so much of that out there. Mm -hmm. Justin Fields unfollowing the Chicago Bears on Instagram, to me, is something you cannot possibly overstate. And I know what you're thinking to yourself. You're thinking, Grindy, don't be ridiculous. You can't make a big deal out of this. Yes, you can. Unfollowing someone on social media is an intentional act. It's something that you have to do purposely Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen i guess it can theoretically happen accidentally but there's no obvious reason why it would and justin fields is not an old man like i am so he probably doesn't accidentally do anything on social media so what it means is he has to have made a point Mm -hmm. of opening up his app saying i'm going to unfollow the team that i play for yes yes and go on. You don't do that unless something has happened. Yes. The combine is next week. Uh-huh. This is where trades happen. A week from Friday is the day the Bears, a year ago, mm-hmm. traded the number one pick to Carolina. The Bears are going to trade Justin Fields next week. In my opinion, he has either been told that or he has been given enough indications of it that he's decided it is time for me to move on and he unfollows the team. I'm not reporting this. Mm-hmm. I'm just putting two and two together. You're literally just reading the tea leaves because anyone can see. Just think of think about it. The Bears are in a position where you've got several top draft picks. You've got a, a guy in Caleb Williams who's been described as a generational talent. And you talk about resetting the market and all that, resetting the, the salary cap and all that with, with a rookie quarterback. Justin Fields isn't dumb. He also has representation. They're not dumb either. They understand what the NFL is. One minute, you're our guy. The next minute, we have another option. 
I, I, it's unclear exactly when Justin hit that unfollow button. Um, so I don't want to speculate if it was exactly yesterday or maybe it was two weeks ago. Maybe it was two months ago, and we're just now finding out. But it is a big deal. In 2024, Hembo, that is the equivalent of literally going up to somebody in the face and saying, I don't like you. Mm-hmm. you know, because that, that's, how, that's how younger generations do things now. Um, but if you're Justin Fields, you have watched this organization draft you, not give you much in your early years, not give you any protection – and, and giving you different coordinators, different head coaches, and now they're basically saying, you know, we got we to gotta see what else is out there. You can't blame the Bears, but if you're Justin Fields, you can't blame him for being in his, in his feelings too. We may hear something today because Justin Fields, it has been teased, oh, yeah. is a guest on the St. Brown Brothers podcast, which is Amon-Ra and Equinemius St. Brown. Equinemius is Justin yes. Fields' soon-to-be former teammate in Chicago. And they have teased that basically, if you haven't seen the teaser for the interview, basically the, the, the teaser is they say to him, Justin, why did you unfollow the Bears on Instagram? And then they cut out and they say, check it out when it drops later today. That That's is brilliant, great. by yes, the way. That That's is great. the greeny tease to the yes. nth degree. <laughs> so I give the, the St. Brown brothers all the broadcasting credit in the entire world. That said, Hembo, are you following my line of thinking? I suppose. I mean, I'm an even older man than you when it comes to these matters, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust Kimberly Martin here, who's the actual social media expert. Uh, do you mind if I ask a football question? Yeah. Because I think the public views Justin Fields as something of a sympathetic figure, right? Because I think conventional wisdom suggests that the Bears have failed him and his yeah. development. But you talk to GMs and front office types around the, the whole league, and so I'm very curious how the NFL at large mm-hmm. perceives Justin Fields as a quarterback and a potential reclamation, what that might look like. Well, think back to that draft time where it was, oh, where's Justin Fields and Trey Lance and like Zach? Like, where is he going to go? And he was like the last guy out of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, th- it was a mixed bag, obviously, you saw with the draft results. A lot of teams weren't sure. Now, uh, years later into his career, I think a lot of people, talking to a lot of people, they expect Justin to be elsewhere. It's not, when I say, I don't understand how the Bears could let go of Justin Fields, this is crazy. Like, he, build around him. They look at me like I'm crazy. Or they text me emojis that are like, what are you thinking? You have to make this move if you're a GM. You got to draft Caleb Williams. Um, I, I think if you're a team, you know, we talked on the show and Get Up about Pittsburgh and Atlanta, Justin going home to Atlanta where he's from, that makes sense. I think if you're a team that has weapons already, uh, it makes sense. If you're a team that is, has to reset a clock and doesn't have much in the cupboards bare, that's not, Justin just did that. Um, he's an upgrade, in my opinion, for a lot of squads, um, especially in Pittsburgh. Let, let, let's, let's answer your question this way, Hembo. Take Trevor Lawrence out of the equation. Look at the other quarterbacks in that draft class. Yeah. Zach Wilson, put into a difficult situation, clearly broken, right? I mean, an absolute abject Shattered. failure. Trey Lance, put into a good situation, actually, failed so badly they couldn't even keep him there anymore. Mac Jones, put into a questionable situation, and the minute things got sideways, clearly broken. Justin Fields, put into as bad a situation as any of the rest of them. No one thinks he's broken. He's managed to persevere. He hasn't set the world on fire. He's been in difficult circumstances, and I think he has has carried himself, comported himself, and Mm -hmm. played well enough to make everyone think, you know what? He looks good enough 
in bad circumstances that I'm willing to see what it looks like in good circumstances in a way that no right one feels situation. about. Well, any situation right. is no, better than the because, one he's been in. Because I think the tricky thing, Hembo, to your question, the tricky thing about Justin is he's good, he's really good, but is he going to be great? Can we win a Super Bowl with him? Is he worth a big contract? And I think he's done just enough with limited resources to make it interesting, but not make a team, the team that drafted him, to not have them even say, like, oh, 100%, like, Justin is our guy. We're, we're trading this pick. Let, let me get to something else here, though, because, Hembo, this one is you, okay? It is in my rundown here. It is in the Google Doc. Hembo has a relationship question for Kmart. Oh, I love it. I do. I've, I've got I limited time it. with Kimberly today, and ah. she is our relationship expert. She is a psychology major from Wesleyan University, and thus no one understands the ins and outs of this better <laughs> than she does. Hembo, what is your question? So you're a, a Broadway person, are you not? I would say I dabble in Broadway. Have you seen Moulin Rouge by chance? That I have not. Okay, so I saw Moulin Rouge. So, over excuse the me. If I were a judge right now, I'd be saying, "Counselor, please get to your point, or I'm going to over. <laughs> I'm going to object here. What, what, what does this have to? We are sitting here having a. What, what does her opinion of Moulin Rouge have to do with a relationship question? I'm setting up my question. As I said, I, I, and as the judge in this courtroom, I'm telling you to speed it along, Counselor. <laughs> have you seen Moulin Rouge? Judge? I have not. Okay. Well, I'm the only person here that has seen Moulin Rouge. Got it. Here's my question. Yes. I thought I'd like it a lot, uh-huh. but I found it to be super sensual. I found it to be, I found there to be a lot of butts. There were a lot of butts dancing on that stage. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting right next to my wife, my lovely wife. This is like our Valentine's weekend away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely wife. And I was made so uncomfortable by all these butts that I felt like I had to either like kind of squint, squint or even close my eyes during many of these scenes. Now, what is the decorum on this? Because, like, I'm sitting there right next to my wife. Everyone's dancing around the stage, singing in lingerie, and I'm made uncomfortable by it. Can I this enjoy this? Should I not enjoy not this? where I thought this conversation Me neither. Was this is the I worst am... question I've ever heard. What are you even asking? Enjoy. We're in, you're married, not blind. I'm, like, I mean, enjoy the butts. Like, all, all, like, all female butts? I'm an... There, yeah, and of a, a preponderance of butts. I mean, there were butts everywhere. Are you talking about... Nude butts? Like, I don't understand what you're talking Pretty about. Pretty nude. Pretty nude, nude. butts. Like, like, you're seeing a lot of So what did you butt. expect the play to be? I, I thought know. it was going to be like a, a very, like, um, a friendly a musical. Clothes. I thought it would be like a, a family-friendly musical. Why did you think that? Moulin Rouge is, I like, mean, famously... I mean, literally, just knowing, watching the video of Little Kim and Christina Aguilera in pink, I knew that there would be butts. Well, yeah, like, why, I had Why didn't seen you Moulin go Rouge, see... Why, why wouldn't you have gone to see, like, Aladdin you, or something like that if this, you wanted a family-friendly musical? the decision? I don't have a kind of... She chose the of play? Of course. Then, then what? Then I choose nothing. Th- but that's watch the Watch the old... butts, Hembo. Watch the butts. So it's okay. So it's okay to watch the butts. She chose that, the butts. I'd be watching but, the butts. But she, she, even she said she thought there was too many butts. Okay. Did you leave at halftime? I did not leave at halftime. Okay, well, so, I mean, obviously he the butts squinted. didn't bother you that much. No, I, I enjoyed the music I. more than I didn't enjoy the butts, but I was made uncomfortable by all the butts, and I'm asking you, if I'm sitting next to my wife, am I allowed to enjoy the butts? You are 1,000%. But you have to be a little careful what you say about them. <laughs> like, the, there's, so there's it's a valid enjo- question. There's it's a valid question. En- there's enjoying them, and then there's taking it a little too far. I had this experience once. Oh, hmm. boy. With Elle McPherson. You know the model, Elle Gorgeous, McPherson? yes. You saw her butt? Uh, kind of. So... We were in, this is, not this is a long time ago that. in Miami. Stace and I are in a store, and Stace is trying on some clothes. And I'm sitting in a chair that is right near mm-hmm. the dressing room area, and I'm 
this might have been before that we had phones. I might have been reading a magazine. I don't even <laughs> know what. But I was looking down, not paying attention. And <laughs> someone comes out and is trying on a pair of jeans and is like checking themselves out in the mirror in the way that you would if you're trying mm-hmm. on a pair yeah. of jeans, particularly, you know, in the butt. Yeah. And I am just, you know, I'm not really focused on what's going on. And then something moves me, thank God, <laughs> to look up and I realize it is Elle McPherson trying on a pair of jeans and where I'm seated, she might just as well be trying them on for me. (laughs) That's, that's how incredibly up. And so then Uh Stace comes out and Mm -hmm. says, did you see Elle McPherson? Exactly. And I say, yes, I did. And she says, isn't she gorgeous? Did you say, did you see her butt? No, but what I had to do, what I had to do was very carefully navigate the line between saying, because it's very, if I say, you know, honey, you're a lot prettier than her. That's going to oh. come out very, you know, that, that's patronizing and ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> or if I come out with, you know what? I don't see what all the fuss is it's about. about that supermodel. That's yeah. so obviously yeah. untrue. But if I say, actually, she looks like she's from a different planet where they have genetically perfected <laughs> the human body. That's, but that's, we have a problem. No, so we got to uh, be somewhere in between. I, maybe I'm the wrong person because I'd be looking at the butts. I'd be talking to Elle McPherson. I'd be complimenting her. On her body, like I don't, I don't get offended by that kind of stuff, and I don't think you have to. It's weirder to me that mm. you were sitting watching Moulin Rouge, Hembo. Like, yeah, I was. Like that. Like I'm the guy like, that. That to me is weird. Like if there's a sex scene in a movie and I'm watching it with my parents, I still pretend I'm like 12 years old. There's a very big difference between your parents and your wife, right, and if you haven't figured that out yet, Greeny Radio. I, I mean, <laughs> Kmart. Let's just let's just establish what just happened here. I, Hembo just compared the experience I know. of taking in a sexually suggestive yeah. moment with his parents yeah, I know. to taking in a sexually suggestive moment yeah. with his wife. It's, it's all downhill. Yeah, I know. That's really disturbing. What does great. the psych major in you have to say to that? I am scared. I want to see Moulin Rouge now, actually. Actually. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to go with me. (laughs) Ticket ticket sales to Moulin Rouge have spiked all over America in a stunning development. People are saying Hembo Hembo gave it two thumbs up, even if he didn't mean to. I've never seen that many butts in one place. You've never been to Magic City. Let's just move on um, from uh, that to something else entirely. Uh, And by that, I mean literally anything. Kmart, thank you for taking part in this stupidity, um, which is the only way this can be described. Um, I have a lot to catch up on between the All-Star game, between a player getting disqualified, between Micah Parsons, and a whole lot more. And believe me, I will as we get started. It's Greeny on ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. Back and better than ever on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. In 30 seconds, I will explain how my little time away involved two goats and a frog. Actually, we'll probably just skip the frog. Um, But we'll certainly talk about the goats in 30 seconds after this reminder that ESPN Bet is now live as the official sportsbook of ESPN. ESPN Bet is the only place to find daily exclusives and offers with your favorite ESPN personalities and shows. Sign up today. New users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sportsbook bet. Find all your favorite markets and bets like in-game wagering, cross-sport parlays, teasers, and all the props you can handle. That's ESPN Bet. Download today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. I will talk about the frog later, but I did while I was away have uh, the chance to interact with two goats. This is going to be about as much name dropping as I ever do. But I was down in South Florida and I played two wonderful golf courses. I played seven rounds of golf. And in, in their entirety in the time since last you've seen me. But one of them was at a very, very well-known golf course called Grove 23. And it is well-known because it was built by and run by and owned by Michael Jeffrey Jordan. And when I was there on Monday, I did see him. And I am delighted to say that he had get up on the TVs with the sound on. Bart Scott was sitting there just obliterating someone. When I was chatting amiably with Michael, who I will gladly tell you, was in as good a spirits as I've ever seen him. He seemed in a really good mood. Everyone says he's in a very happy place in his life right now. He had a cigar going 9 a.m. on a golf course, sitting there hanging out with a bunch of guys. So it was, it was wonderful to see him. So the GOAT is in good shape. And when was the last time that you and Michael Jordan had spoken, had talked? <sighs> Maybe two, three years ago okay. I ran into him. So, he, so you, are, you have a good enough, a close enough relationship with Michael that you, you, you're, you hop in the, the pro shop and you guys just kind of pick up where you left off? I mean, relationship is a really strong word. He remembers that I'm one of the people who followed him around, you know, for years <laughs> in Chicago when he was the most famous person in the world. And he's aware of what I've gone on to do now. So I mean, I mean, he watches get up every morning. Friendly, he like. had it on. I mean, it was it was definitively on, which made me feel good. And I looked at him. That's the first thing I said. I said, how do you watch this crap? <laughs> um, and uh, but anyway, so he was great to see. And then the following day, I played at a club called the Bears Club, which is in uh, Jupiter. And it is called that because it is owned by the Golden Bear. And I did see the one and only Jack Nicholas and had a chance to say hello to him. On back-to-back days, I got Michael Jordan, wow. I got Jack Nicholas. I was like, how do I go home? I mean, what, is, are, if, if, there, if you could meet five people, if you could run into five people in the world of sports, would those two people not be on the list? They would, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Th- those are... <laughs> the, the greatest living legends. The yeah. Greatest, the cr- greatest currently living legends in sports. If you were to say, give me the top five, would those two make the top five? I would think so. I think, Jordan certainly would. Well, uh, I think you have to add Wayne Gretzky to that list. Okay, that's three. 
Would Tom Brady? T- Tiger Woods? Is that the five? So we're Serena not putting Williams? any... I mean, she's up there too, of course. Willie Mays is still, is still with us. If, if we're just doing the most accomplished athletes and slash living legends... The thing, you got to see them in their natural habitat, too. I, legitimately so. Very I mean, cool. quite literally so. I saw them in places they own <laughs> <laughs> that, that are named for them. I thought I had a pretty good weekend. Yours was much better. My, my, yeah, you had the butts at Moulin Rouge, and so I had many. the goats in South Florida. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'll, I'll tell you about the conversation I had with Jack, because I think it is significant. Um, but right now, I want to talk about the NBA All-Star Game, because it was a travesty. Uh, it really was a travesty. Um, and it made me feel terrible. I felt terrible for Adam Silver. Now, when you are as wealthy and successful as Adam Silver is, you're not going to engender a lot of sympathy for your problems. Everyone in life has problems, and most people don't have life nearly as well as Adam Silver does. So I'm not expecting anyone to feel bad for him. But I genuinely did. Adam Silver has asked the players for three things. One of them is play in the games. Please don't sit out games when you're healthy. And they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. So he had to put into place this system where you have to play 65 games to qualify for any all-NBA teams and other rewards that equate to money. Essentially, he had to demand, he had to put financial incentive behind the players playing games. It's a bad look. It was a bad look, but I credit him for doing it because it had to be done. And all of a sudden, you've got criticism that, is this why Joel Embiid got hurt? I don't want to hear it. The the players should play the games if they're healthy. If they're not healthy, then no one expects them to. And if Joel Embiid wasn't healthy enough to play, that's an entirely different conversation. That's not what the rule is in place for. So he had to deal with that. The second was the in-season tournament. He asked the players to take that seriously and make it important. And I thought they did do that. I thought the in-season tournament did work out well. Now, it wasn't really asking much of them. He was just asking them to show up and play those games hard and not to choose those as ones they would otherwise sit out. But let's give credit where it's due. It feels like the players did meet him halfway on that one and say, we're going to prioritize this. And the third is, he said, I need you guys to make the All-Star game look like it matters at least a little. I'm not asking you to play it like it's game seven of the NBA Finals. I'm asking you to show up and play it at least a little. Did you watch what we got on Sunday? And that was, I, I, I can't even imagine it. I remember when I was in college, I remember going to visit. My best friend went to the University of Michigan, and I went to visit him one weekend. And that year, they happened, Michigan won the national championship in college basketball. That's how good that team was. And we were at the gym. We went over to play, you know, pick up basketball, and we're at the gym. And there are guys like stars of that team, Gary Grant and Antoine Jobert and guys like that who were on that team. Jobert, I think, had graduated. But he was, I mean, they're there. Glenn Rice, who was a first-round NBA pick, were there. And they're playing pickup games with guys like me. I'm literally in this game just running back and forth. And those guys who didn't even go back on defense three-quarters of the time played those games harder than these guys played on Sunday night. It was I was embarrassed for them. And the worst of it is they didn't seem embarrassed by it at all. No, uh, there is an egregious lack of pay it forward right now when it comes to the best players in the NBA. And I think this is a, a pretty new dynamic. 
there were a couple clips that went viral over the weekend on Twitter. One that I want you to play for me, Greena, that's on your board, in which back in 2016, Kobe Bryant was complaining about this very thing. And this was eight years ago when players were playing much harder than they are right now. I, I believe it's 2019, but the point remains. It's, it's from September of 2019, so it's five years ago, but it is still... The point, it, 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 makes, it doesn't make any difference when he said it. He's talking about the hall of the All-Star game, and it isn't what it used to be. I think the All-Star game in general needs a little revamping because it used to be competitive. Yeah. It used to be competitive, and like fans want to see the best pickup game in the world. Yeah. That's what this is. They don't yeah. want to see you running up and down and dunking and doing all this crazy. Like, they want to see the, what happens when you get this collection of best basketball players on the planet, and they play, and they go head up against each other. Man. Yeah. I mean, you guys play harder at a pickup game in UCLA. So there's Kobe calling it out five years ago. That's very prescient. Um, we miss his conscience, by the way. Like, I just kept thinking about him this weekend because of the effort that we were seeing and because it's the antithesis of everything that he stood for. And it's so bizarre because like, every great player in the NBA like, says Mamba mentality. And they, like, it's, it's become like, uh, you know, you know, something that people say they stand for and whatnot, but they don't do it ever. You know, There's nothing that as a fan you want more than just the players to care as much as as you do. And in this particular case, I mean, Adam Silver was humiliated at the end of the event, and he should be. He was incensed. Like, nothing, nobody could watch that thing and feel any differently. I know that you've all heard this already. I know that I'm three days late to this party, but I just haven't been here and had a chance to comment on it. In case you haven't heard it, this was how Adam presented the All-Star Game quote-unquote winning trophy. And to the Eastern Conference All-Stars, you scored the most points. Well, congratulations. Giannis, to your team, this trophy is yours. I mean, he couldn't make a bigger statement because he can't make the statement he wants to make. So look, I'm going to explain why this is happening. And I don't think there is a solution. And I think it's just the natural order of things. So the, the rule of thumb in family-owned businesses is the first generation creates it, the second generation expands it, and the third generation squanders it. Now, I want to make it very clear that the NBA players of today are not squandering the league. The league is not in trouble. It's not in a bad place. It's in a very good place, financially at minimum. They're going to make a trillion dollars in all of their new TV contracts. So none of this is going to impact them in an adverse way. But the analogy holds true in this regard. The players that I grew up watching in the 70s were not celebrities. They were not superstars. They weren't famous. They didn't make that much money. This was pro basketball in particular was nothing like it is now, as as has probably been said to you a million times, but you have to actually conceptualize this to understand it. The NBA Finals were not televised live. The NBA Finals were shown on tape delay. The night that Magic Johnson jumped center in Game 6 of the NBA Finals as a rookie, one of the most famous games ever played, was not broadcast live. You had to wait until after. If you were in New York, you had to wait till after the evening news at 1130 for the, for the coverage of a game that had been over for an hour and a half to come on. That's the league they were in. Then came the 80s. Magic, Larry, Michael, they built it. They built it. 
And the generation that followed them saw that and had their influence on them. So that's when Kobe came. Kevin Garnett came, that group of players, Tim Duncan, who picked up that baton and were proud to run with it. Look what you guys built. And, and they were around them. They competed against them. They competed with them. And they said, we're going to build on what you guys did. They, they were figuratively, if not literally, handed a baton. The players of this generation, and this is not their fault, were born and raised in an era where NBA players were superstars. They have no recollection of life before the Dream Team. They have no recollection of life before $100 million contracts, free agency, forcing your way out of situations if you want to. They they don't have any recollection of that. It's not their fault that they don't perceive that that was the world. So they don't feel like they have something that they've been handed a legacy and it's their responsibility to carry it on. They believe that it's their job to try and be what those guys were. I want a brand. I want to make a trillion dollars. I want to be famous. I want all that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that. Everyone wants that. No one in their right mind wouldn't want that if they had a chance to have it. So when you say there's no pay it forward, you're right. The defense of the modern player is that I don't think the modern player really fully grasps what you're saying. What do you mean pay it forward? Like, there was a great league before me, I'm going to get what I can out of it while I'm here, and there's going to be a great league after me. And they don't recognize that if you don't prioritize what is good for the league, at least some of the time, then you might not leave it in a better place than you found it. Then there might not be generations after you who can quote-unquote take it for granted. Now again, as I'm saying that, I will say again, this league is about to make infinitely more money than it has ever made before. The new broadcasting contracts and all that stuff are going to come into play. Sports in general have never been more valuable than they are right at this moment in human history. So they're not going to suffer for this, which is why it's not going to change. So Adam can be mad, which he was, and I don't blame him. He can try and put something in place, which he did with the resting, and I give him great credit for that. Adam Silver is as good a leader as has been around sports as I can ever remember. So none of this is about him. I think he sees it. I think he does what he can, and I think he... He shrugs his shoulders when he can't. And I think that was one of those moments. I think that was one of those moments where he said, there's not a damn thing I can do about this right now. Sure. And I think you characterize the league accurately. But, but continued prosperity is not inevitable. The NBA is in a very healthy place financially right now. But if we're to be honest, the All-Star Weekend was a total flop. The only thing that saved it was Sabrina Ionescu. And the three-point contest she had against Steph Curry. The that women's was game awesome. It was awesome. I mean, awesome. The women's game right now is considerably better than the men's game. The dunk contest stunk. The game stunk. Adam Silver, when doing media, was lamenting the state of amateur basketball in this country. And first take yesterday led their show with who's going to replace Steph and LeBron as the face of the league. I think the NBA is in a like holistically, in something of a perilous position. Not necessarily in one in which they're going to go bankrupt, obviously, but if we're going to talk about the lack of pay it forward, we can't necessarily just assume that the league is going to be handed into a better place because my favorite sport, baseball, has never found someone to replace Derek Jeter as its face. So the assumption that the NBA is just going to continue to prosper, in my opinion, is not something that we should, we should assume. Um, I mean... I guess it depends on how far you're willing to go with that. Major League Baseball, despite not having a face, is prospering sure. like crazy, right? They're making a trillion dollars. And they, they've, they, they've lost to some degree, I guess, their place in the fabric of the culture 
for everyone, I don't think basketball is going to do that because basketball actually serves the needs, meets the needs of the modern public way better than baseball does. It's not a it's not it's, this is not a value judgment. I'm talking about the actual nuts and bolts of the game itself. These are businesses, but at the end of the day, they're built they're built on games. And in the modern time, basketball, I think, actually fits our society better than football does. Football is just its structure is so perfect. They play one game a week. There's so much interest in every little tiny bit of it. If they only played one basketball game a week, it would be epic. It would be every bit what, this, uh, what football is. I agree with you. I, I agree with that 100%. And in, in the NFL's case, look, that was a league that was going to prosper no matter what. But they were very adequately able to replace Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and those quarterbacks with new, fresh, young faces, and that has been a big reason for their continued success. Right now, I'm not sure the NBA is equipped to do that, especially when you consider that the United States is getting lapped internationally in terms of developing players. But there are a lot of great young international players. Are you, so you're suggesting to me that you're concerned if the faces of the league are Luka Doncic and Victor Wembanyama and Nikola Jokic, I noticed that there were four of the 10 all-star starters are foreign-born players. Now, one of those is Joel Embiid, (coughs) pardon me, who, of course, went to college in America and didn't play in the Mm -hmm. all-star game because of injury. But of the 10 players who were voted in, four of them are foreign-born. I don't think that's a bad thing. I really don't. I do not think Luka Doncic or... Victor Wembanyama, or who did I, did I not say Giannis? I, I should have said Giannis. So there's another one. I, mean, I think Giannis is beloved. I think people love Giannis. I think the fact he's got, you know, a, an accent because he's from Greece, I think only adds to how, how much people enjoy hearing him talk. Like, I think Giannis is a superstar to take the league forward. Luca, all these guys, I think, have the ability to do that. So do I. And I don't think that's a bad thing. <laughs> but Adam S- Silver said as much over the weekend that the United States is falling behind developmentally. And so if that's a concern of his, why wouldn't it be a concern of mine? Well, I mean, it's only a concern to the degree that you care if we win Olympics. But all these players are going to come in the NBA regardless, right? Every player born everywhere on the planet wants to come play in the NBA, and that's not going to All right, good discussion. We got Hembo Trivia today. Cam will play along. Here we go. Uh, Which golfer has won the most PGA Tour events this decade since January 1st of 2020? Which golfer has the most wins on the PGA Tour? January 1st, 2020, who has the most wins on the PGA Tour in honor of my little golf event I just (laughs) created for myself? The answer is next on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. All right, Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility, great pay, and benefits? Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Go trivia, go. Which golfer has the most PGA t- has won the most PGA Tour events this decade? Another way of asking this would be since January 1st of 2020, which golfer has the most wins on tour? Okay, so I've got two names written down. Um, I'm not 100% sure which one I'm going to go with. You got a guess on this, Cam? Yeah, I am not a golf guy at all, but I'll go with Victor Hovland. Okay. Um I'll be very surprised if that's right. But Me I, too. I, I have been so wrong about so many things so many times um, that I guess at this point I'm not willing to give it up. Did you get guesses from anybody else? I have guesses from Brandon and Jack. They're both going with John Rahm. Okay, John I, Rahm I is one of the two names I have written down. wanted to get a guess from Nick, who's uh, in Bubba's place um, back in Bristol, and want to add him to the scoreboard. Nick? Uh, I was also going to go with John Rahm. Okay, so that's three Rahms. 
So the, the, it, it, to me, I think it's either John Rahm or Rory McIlroy. McIlroy was number one for a bunch of that time. Rahm was number one for a bunch of that time, and Scotty Scheffler is number one now. Dustin Johnson also would have been number one for a period of that time. And the way their scoring system works, it's so convoluted that it's not always who wins the most events. Another guy who won a bunch of events in a row there was Patrick Cantley, who is a name most people probably wouldn't think of, but right now he's as good as any player in the world. And I feel like you being the sneaky hembo that you are, you might have liked to have snuck that in because Rom and Rory would seem a little more obvious, and I just don't think Scheffler's been doing it long enough. So I'm going to go with Patrick Cantley for the win. And the correct answer is... John Rahm. Oh, so John Rahm has won eight PGA Tour events this I observe, decade. I, I ignored the obvious. Rory, Cantley, Victor Hovland, and Scotty Scheffler are all tied for second with six. Wow. We had the right basic people. You guys got Rahm right. It's more than I would have thought for Hovland. All right, one way or another, one of the names not in that is Jordan Spieth. And that is because Spieth's run at the top of the golf world came a little before 2020. And we all saw him sort of really struggle with his game, disappear a little bit, come back, and, and he has been he and he has been and remains one of the best players in the world. And he was very much in contention for those of you who did not see what happened over the weekend at Riviera, which is one of the most famous and beloved golf courses. So the way the tour works now, everyone knows about the majors. And there have always been a pecking order of other events, but now they've made it official. Some of them are elevated and some of them are not. And, I, and, and to me, at least, outside of the Players' Championship, I don't know how many other events on tour are considered to be a bigger deal than the one at Riviera, the Genesis Open, as it's now called. And Jordan Spieth was disqualified while very much in contention for violating a rule that has been around forever, which is signing an incorrect scorecard. So to be very clear, the way this stuff works is your, your, your playing competitor keeps your score for you. You also obviously keep your own score as well. And for the record, your score is posted everywhere. In this day and age, everyone knows what you made on every hole if they want to. And so you go into the scorer's tent, you sit there, you go over the card, you attest that it's correct, you go over it again, ultimately you sign it and you walk out the door. If it is incorrect, if a mistake has been made, if an honest mistake has been made, the penalty for that is disqualification. Now, that has always been the rule. That is a rule that dates back probably to a time before it was so easy to know what everyone shot, when these events were not on television, when you could say, I made three on this hole, and no one would know otherwise. And those rules have stuck around, and they have remained a part of the tradition and the fabric of the game which is why Jordan Spieth did not fight this. He said, I signed for an incorrect scorecard, stepped out of the scoring area, thinking I went through all the procedures. Rules are rules. I take full responsibility. And that's the right thing for him to say. But I have two thoughts on it. The first is, that is a dated concept. If it was ever a good idea, it shouldn't be anymore. Because it is so easy to... Again, no one can cheat their way to a fake score. I can't say, if I'm a PGA Tour player pay, playing a PGA Tour event, I can't say I shot 69 if I actually shot 70 and have that score count. That's just not on the list of things that are going to happen. So there is no actual um, downside to this. There's, there's, no, there's no literal downside to it. I do respect the tradition of it. 
but it is a dated concept. So I think there is now very much room for if Jordan Spieth has it wrong and signs it, for someone to say to him, someone in the scorer's tent to say to him, look at that one again, Jordan. I just, I just look at seven again, and I want you to, are you sure you made a three on seven and not a four? Or vice versa, or whatever the case may be. Anything incorrect. You, you, get, you get DQ'd for signing an incorrect scorecard, even if it worked against you, if you made a mistake that actually makes your score worse. The, the gentleman's you know, nature of the sport, which is what they always talk about, calling penalties on yourself and everything, is a tradition that I like. And so I, I don't, I'm not as opposed to this as a lot of other people are, but I do believe it is a rule that is, it is much too penal. So let me give you an either-or then. Would yeah. you rather this penalty, say, be changed to a two-stroke penalty right, or something of that effect, or... Just get rid of the idea of a player and his caddy counting it up all together and have an official scorer the way that we do in baseball and every other sport. The, the way we have in literally everything else. I think there was a third option, which is the one I gave, which is it is your job to attest your own score, but then if you get it wrong, let someone correct you. <laughs> because none of these guys, they all know they can't fudge it. Jordan, A, he's not even, under no circumstances is he trying to. B, there's not one player on the PGA Tour who thinks, I'm going to try and sneak a fast one in here and say I got a three when I actually got a four. That's not on the list of things that might be happening. So you can correct them without any penalty. And what's the purpose of the exercise? If you insist, just to, to maintain the tradition, but if you insist on a penalty, then I would greatly prefer the penalty was one stroke or two strokes rather than disqualification. However, I do want to address some of the reaction to it, which I thought was greatly overdone. So I go on, you know, on, on I, I can't remember now if this was on Twitter. I guess it would be on Instagram because you see all the comments immediately. And so when I'm having my breakfast the morning after this happened, I'm reading, you know, on Instagram a, a post that has Jordan's, you know, um, his statement. And then I'm looking at the comments underneath. And every one of them is, this is why all the guys went to live. This is why all the guys went to live. This is why all the guys went to live. Stop. Stop that. This is not why all the guys went to live. <laughs> John Rahm and Phil Mickelson did not decide to leave the PGA Tour because they don't like attesting their own score, and if they get it wrong, they face the possibility of disqualification. They went because there were hundreds of millions of dollars involved and because the PGA Tour and its leadership completely underestimated the magnitude of the situation they faced. This has nothing to do with that. So let me just very quickly correct that, because I'm sitting there reading it, and I'm like, oh, look at this one idiot who says this is what... Oh, look at two idiots. Wait, nine idiots. Wait, a hundred idiots. Everyone seemed to be saying that. Let's make this as clear as we can make it. If the only difference between Liv and the PGA Tour was that in one of them, they kept the score for you, no one would have left. (laughs) That is definitively not why this happened. It wasn't a contributing factor. When they sat down to make the list, John Rahm on his list, pros, cons. Under con, he did not write, you know, on the PGA Tour, I have to keep my own score, and I face the possibility of disqualification if I accidentally get it wrong. That didn't make the list in either place. So let's be very clear about that. Do I think the rule is archaic? I do. Do I think it should be addressed? I do. Is it the reason these guys left the tour? It most certainly is not. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Or... 
Watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN, and also available wherever you get your podcast. 